Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layers podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. We're excited to have Marina Suberlak, Head of North American Marketing for Norwegian Air, on the program today. Marina is responsible for driving Norwegian Air Shuttle commercial success in the U.S. and U.K. markets by defining the strategy and outlining the roadmap across the globally located team. Before working at Norwegian, Marina did revenue management for JetBlue. Under Marina's watch, Norwegian has embraced machine learning in its marketing, working with algorithmic advertising companies to boost reach and conversions in key markets. Welcome, Marina. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, it's exciting to have you. Love the brand. I've flown Norwegian to and from um, Europe a few times, and the, the prices can't be beat. But for our listeners who may not be familiar with Norwegian, could you tell us a little bit about the airline and how it positions itself in the market? Yes, of course. So Norwegian is firstly a low-cost carrier. Our routes begin in Scandinavia, Norway, as the name suggests. And then we just pretty rapidly grew throughout Europe. Most people, especially in this continent, don't think of Norwegian as a big player in Europe, but we're actually number three in Europe in terms of size. And we have a very vast network connecting countries as diverse as, of course, Norway to Spain or London to Italy. So plenty of points to try us on. And then in the past, I guess, six years now, time flies, We've expanded into North America, and I guess that's how most people here know us, and that's for low-cost flights across the pond. Some of our fares way back when were under $100. Um, you could literally hop across to places like Ireland for under 100 bucks. And of course, since then, things have changed. The model has uh, shifted a little bit. But the kind of fundamental premise of Norwegian, I think, remains, and we hope to keep it going. And that's kind of the mission that we've taken from the beginning, affordable fares for all. So we're trying to make travel exciting and affordable no matter who you are, no matter where you come from. And we do try to keep it both low, simple, and also try to give it as much as possible the nice experience that I think everybody really wants when they're in the uncomfortable metal tube in the air. Right, right. So as part of this budget market and these low-cost seats, I'm guessing that margins aren't aren't huge. So how does the marketing strategy look for Norwegian in the United States? So especially in the U.S., I think I've been lucky. The whole team has been pretty lucky in that we sell something that everybody wants. We're selling affordable fares to go to Europe. So it, it's an exciting product, and the price itself helps us get the message out pretty easily through media, through journalism, and then, of course, through marketing. So because of the product being desirable, we've been focusing mostly on kind of chasing the demand that was already there. So picking up demand signals from places like Google Search, Meta Search, OTA, and just making sure that we're present, present on the page, explain ourselves as best we can in the spaces available as far as the brand proposition and, and how you fly with us. And that so far has been, I would say, very successful for us. Got it. So it seems like there's a lot of data being used. There's the creative messaging. There's all the different types of advertising space and, and the signals that you're trying to get. How have you been working with machine learning AI companies? And why and how did you decide to move in that direction? So you're exactly right. Just because our marketing strategy in the U.S. specifically relies on 
kind of taking advantage of the demand that's either there or has been created by our touch points, we do rely on data pretty heavily. And that in itself kind of always pushes the envelope in every conversation we've ever had with the agency or even within our own internal teams is always about how do I use the data that I have better, more robustly, more broadly. And so a lot of the conversations are always about kind of taking signals from one platform to the other or in making inferences or letting softwares help us make inferences about things like, you know, which publishers we should really focus on, which TV shows or, or programming online should we be focusing when we run video ads, and, and going as far as asking, you know, which journalists should we partner with or which influencers should we look at to kind of help us with optimizing the very little marketing spend that we actually do have. Yeah, so that that's a good that's a good point. That brings up a few things about the travel market that are relatively specific. So, there's a lot of reliance as far as I understand on in-market signals, right? So, working with the online travel booking sites, things like that versus creating and prospecting and creating the brand message. I feel like the in the in market buying signals are pretty well established in the travel market. How are you using your budget outside of that to drum up more demand or to bring that message to new people? Look, I would maybe call this a little bit of a backtracking setup. So when we first entered the market, it was very demand that we've created by you know, publishing our press release that we will now fly these um, amazing routes at amazing prices. Over time, of course, it became sort of less of an attraction and, and other carriers and other business models have been able to match our pricing. So we actually had to backtrack our strategies and approach and, and invest a bit more into educating customers on who we are and, and promoting the brand and kind of moving up funnel to create the demand for ourselves. And so that that's a relatively new, I guess, part of the equation for us. And unfortunately, with all the events in the past two, three months now, things have been disrupted in terms of data and in terms of learning. But it, it I guess it starts in the same way that it starts for most brands. And, and you kind of have to have a very honest conversation with yourself and who you are and who you're supposed to be targeting and why. And so we did a lot of work with a number of teams in Europe just trying to define that specifically for the U.S. customer and for the product that we offer to the U.S. customer. And then we worked with the agencies uh, to actually narrow that architecture down to the specific publishers and the specific reasons and the specific message we would want to disperse in all these different opportunities. So it, 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 it's been a very um, robust piece of work, I would say, and unfortunately for the moment, the results are very, very gray given, I guess, the circumstances of the last couple of months. Yeah, I, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, how Corona has changed things in a minute, but let's, for the minute, assume that we live in a world before Corona. How are you using machine learning to help you uh, make these decisions or to improve your cost per acquisition and things like that? So I guess a few examples. One is kind of going back to demand signals and, and getting better at taking advantage of them. We partnered with a company called Ed Theorem, and they've done a lot of interesting work for us. And they kind of pitched it to us before we quite knew what 
to do it and how to leverage their platform. But they've effectively created a loop whereby their algorithms just kept learning from the data that they themselves were collecting. And the, the main goal has always been direct bookings on Norwegian.com. And so using that as the final action, we kind of backtracked and reverse engineered all the different journeys and processes and signals that users actually generate before they get to the purchase. And then we use the different moments in time to leverage. The signals marry up the different advertising, both assets and messaging. And at least at the time, we felt like the experiment was uh, very successful. We had very strong metrics come out of it, something like over 170% increase in efficiencies and ability to generate leads that eventually converted. So it, it was a very positive experiment for us. And then we kind of moved that towards upper funnel, um, or I guess the principles of that started to move into the upper funnel. So when we did unveil more of a brand awareness campaign, I guess months ago or so now, one of the key elements there was to try and leverage the partners and their own analytical and machine learning and AI, I guess ultimately AI capabilities to really find the audience that would ultimately be our traveler. We, I think as marketers, we often tend to have a very specific view of who the people should be um, and who our buyers are and how they look and what we want from them and how to engage with them. But then when you unleash it into the world and let the data speak back to you, you sort of discover that that persona is a little different from what you thought. And the content that they consume or the time of day when they do those is not what you expected. And so we relied on partners to feed that back to us, whether that makes sense, whether we would like to take advantage of it. And so just purely on efficiencies, the results we've seen so far have been very, very strong. That's great. That's great. And and so you have been, what about the messaging? What about figuring out what messages work for for these these different types of customers, et cetera. Are you experimenting with that too? Not at the moment. We have a couple of, I guess, concepts in the works. And, and it was exactly specifically about the messaging. Part of Norwegian's journey is that we are sort of having to mold as the time goes by and the other airlines sort of um, catch up to us in terms of what we offer. And so we've had to really mold our message and at this time, it's just a proof. It's just a concept; hasn't been proofed yet. But the eventual goal would be to actually try and leverage the, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, of copy lines to try and understand how the messaging itself can marry up to the placements um, and to our benefit. Yeah, exactly. There's so many different options and so many different flights and so many different prices and all those things. It must be a big challenge. The challenge. For, Nor- for for a company like Norwegian, and even though I'm responsible for the U.S. market, I'm part of the broader team. The, the challenge is language, actually. We are we operate in 22 countries, and we have to speak the different languages and comply with various regulations, whether it's advertising or transportation and so forth. So the variation beyond just messaging starts to layer in the various language copies and guidelines and such. So the number of variables is actually very high for us. That's interesting. Just for my own personal curiosity, how does the U.S. compare to to other markets like the, like the U.K. and, and our regulations on advertising and, and things like that? It, it 
depends on the subject, I guess. So if, if you're doing more generic messaging without a price point, US is actually pretty flexible and, and you have quite a big range of things you can say legally, so to speak. Once you go to the price point though, then you, you're effectively creating a contract with the customer that you will, they will have this available. And so things become a bit more strict. And I would say almost the opposite exists in places like UK. The price point doesn't trigger any additional guidelines for that market, but the original guidelines on how honest and how precise you have to be in your language are pretty stiff, in my opinion. Yeah, and if you can, could you talk a little bit about the differences and challenges that you had at JetBlue versus Norwegian? I know you didn't have the same exact jobs, but just wondering if there's a comparison between the two. JetBlue has become a little bit more of a mainstream airline than it used to be just the budget airline for the U.S., you know? True, especially lately with the changes. I, I think the fundamental mission is actually very similar, make travel affordable to all. I guess JetBlue layers in a lot of the of humanity and just, just being a good citizen and a good traveler into it. But the fundamental principle is the same. We're in the business of trying to make it affordable to all. JetBlue does so domestically and kind of within the Western Hemisphere, and we do that across the pond. What is different, and that's the part that I think really kind of hit me on the head, I suppose, when I joined Norwegian, is that JetBlue is a very strong, very established, very liked brand, certainly here in the U.S., whereas Norwegian is not. Norwegian is very little known unless you're a frequent traveler or, you know, watch the industry or, or some very specific groups. So the brand name doesn't carry as much weight. And then on top of it, the word Norwegian actually has a connotation. It represents the country, the people, the region. So you automatically route people's perception of you into a box. And so just, just from the brand architecture and brand building standpoint, it's quite a different challenge with Norwegian versus what JetBlue has been able to achieve. Fascinating. So let's jump to COVID-19, the, the topic of the times. Um, of course, I would think that it has been a challenge, effective in a sales perspective for Norwegian, as it has been for every single airline in the world. What have you done to adjust to this new normal? And what does COVID-19 mean for, for you in Norwegian? Yeah, it's a heavy and developing topic, I guess, for all of us. I think it's, I guess if anybody reads the news, we all are pretty aware just how disruptive and how sort of damaging it has been to the entire travel industry. Um, and airlines in particular, of course, with all the closures and, and border restrictions. So just very specifically, we've had to ground all of our fleet or most of our fleet just because it was impractical, impossible even to operate in the environment. There was a point in time early sort of to mid-March when you know, each new country was successively changing who can enter their borders and under which conditions. So by the time you solve the first problem, you already have five more countries having their own regulations. So it quickly became just impractical to keep solving this. And then, of course, the demand has fallen off for, sounds like all of us um, across the world, pretty dramatically. So at this time, we are operating only a few flights within Norway partially because that's our home country and there are some, I guess, opportunities through government and community support, pretty rough landscape. So it's not easy to get around by 
car or by train. So air, air is actually one of the best uh, ways to get around. So whether it's delivering supplies, you know, carrying some critical personnel, that, that's the sort of flying we're doing at this time. And what happens next is a little unclear. Just like many of our colleagues, you know, we, we still have expenses and, and we have pilots and crew and aircraft payments and really a variety of costs that don't go away just because we don't fly. And, and that number is actually very high for many of us. So we're just trying to manage um, the cash flow and preserve sort of our ability to exist whenever this is over. And believe me, we cannot wait <laughs> to be flying yeah, again. So this will, this will end and uh, we will come out of this. And I feel like uh, there's going to be a lot of pent up American demand to get back out into the world, especially to just get out. And so what, what, how are you planning on planning on taking advantage of the reopening and, and spinning back up and, and our pent up American demand for, for travel? It, it's a very, it's complicated question and, and it has so many layers to it. I, I, you know, the number of, I think, publications and, and charts that I have seen come from the industry that demonstrate just how deep um, the fall-off has been in terms of demand. It, it far supersedes, you know, 9-11 and 2008 and some of the other crises we've seen in the past couple of decades. So because of that, it's actually a little difficult for us to commit, I guess, to any scenario of how this comes back. So what we're doing, and I think that's what every other airline right now is doing, is just looking at all the possible scenarios of things being really strong, really fast to things taking some time. Well, know? I can only, I can only speak for myself and I, I'm ready to go. I, I, <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> I believe you. I'm ready to go to Rome or anywhere, anywhere, but anywhere, but my room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and believe me, so am I and thousands, if not, you know, hundreds of thousands of people will say the same thing. It is challenging. Airlines are very kind of equipment, you know, capital intensive and equipment heavy. And there are a lot of things that have to orchestrate before the flight takes off. And so when you pause all activities for any period of time, really, there's a whole sequence of events that have to happen in order for that plane to be at the gate. So selling the ticket is actually one of the easiest things we can do. It, it's everything that leads up to the flight. And so as as the planes are sitting and idling and require certain kind of maintenance, as airports have closed and in many cases laid off a lot of their staff who does kind of the everyday operational work. And of course, crews and pilots, they're sitting and not using their hours and not practicing their skills. All of that, the longer it sits, becomes a real challenge for all of us. So that's why I'm talking about scenarios, and that's why we're all talking about scenarios rather than any one particular way to come back. And I guess my question back to you, can it actually do anything given that it relies on me? I will say data has been so disrupted in the past weeks. Yes, that's that's a good question. I would say that's tough. It depends on how much data has it depends on how much data has dropped. You know, for our company, Cognitive, we we do the same types of solutions that uh, you're using with other with other vendors. 
retargeting, prospecting, lookalike modeling, all those types of things. We do it with the same sort of fundamental cookie or pixel that. I would say though, that one of the big differences that my company does is that we create custom algorithms for everybody, but we're using, we're using the current consumer patterns as our data structure. So while fewer people are coming to the website and things like that, making purchases, of course, because everything's shut down, we're constantly monitoring the change in consumer pattern in the United States. It's sort of what our, it's a little bit a part of our secret sauce and, and, and how, we, how we sell our product. Our product is really a self-learning, deep learning algorithm that is taking all of the current situation and changes and the difference from before and after coronavirus of how people are reacting advertising, your specific advertising, what different sites are working now instead of in the past. So for us, we see it as, yes, I would say that our experience has been that for the most part, for most people, efficiency from a KPI perspective, et cetera, return on ad spend, et cetera, is, has been affected. But our, our technology is meant to take advantage of these changes in the best way possible, understand them and alter the strategies and tactics really quickly, automatically. And that includes for us testing different creatives and things like that. So if, if, if Norwegian gave us 20 creatives or 30 creatives, we would be able to test which creatives work for which person and which place at what time and what order. And it does all those things automatically and continues to learn on the fly. That for us is sort of the holy grail um, for marketing is being able to adjust, not, not just so drastically as coronavirus, but adjust, adjust to different new messaging, different times of year, different sentiments that are happening in the, in the country, in the world, et cetera. So, so for us, data is always rich, even though the labeled data, which would be conversions and, and sales, we could, we could switch to visits, we could switch to searches, we could switch to other different data sources. So we're really looking at consumers as they their patterns in the general world, generically, not just in relation to your brand. Mm. Yeah, it, it, I mean, this is going to be a question for everybody as we start restart the marketing efforts. Like for a while, I, I completely agree with you, there's going to be pent-up demand, but I think it'll manifest itself more, or firstly, in people that actually need to go. <laughs> And that's a completely different marketing equation, you know, whether you need to go visit your family because you haven't seen them or somebody needs help or whatever it might be, or work has required you to do something. So there'll be a completely different set of signals and a different kind of efficiency that you can expect from your spend in the beginning versus as we go back to normal. Yes. I mean, that's, that's a great point. And that's, a, that's you know, again, one of the reasons we we decided to develop a, a deep, what we call a deep learning solution. It's because of that, those slight differences in consumers and who they are. So, so the algorithms that we built should be able to see that, okay, these types of people, probably business people or, you know, probably business people first, of course, because, you know, travel and business go hand in hand. And then the personal vacation, 
you know, folks picking up for the summer and things like that. Beauty of the deep learning solution is that it actually can see all of those different people at once or at different times. And depending upon how each person relates to each other, how closely they look to each other, like, like if you're talking in a very simple way, a lookalike model, make decisions on the fly. Maybe, you know, the business creative will automatically work better for certain clusters of people over here. And, and the, the casual traveler, the vacation traveler creatives will automatically start working with these clusters over here. And that's the cool thing about our deep learning capabilities is that we can sort of infinitely cluster and match creatives to all different types of scenarios, et cetera. But I agree with you. That's sort of why we like to talk about AI is because of all these different problems that are very hard for humans to take care of, right? We want, we want the computer to see these things before we see them and adjust before we can adjust and do that more quickly so that we can keep ahead of comp- competition, keep ahead of uh, the trends, and ultimately spend our time doing much more interesting things like like branding strategy and, and uh, messaging strategy, et cetera. Yeah, sounds like you're doing great things. Yeah, well, thank you very much for enlightening us about Norwegian. Norwegian and its machine learning opportunities in marketing, and then also talk a little bit about this this coronavirus quarantine pandemic horrible time in our lives. We look forward, all of us, to getting out of it and getting back back into the sky. So I really appreciate your time here on Hidden Layers, Marina, and we wish Norwegian all the best, and we look forward to flying with you guys soon. Thank you. Very kind words. Thanks.